0: This is Wrestling Memories Online. I'm your host, Glenn Broggett. Today, I have lined up. This has to be the guest I have dreamed about having on uh, the program here through our four years on Wrestling Memories. This is a guest I've wanted to have on for quite some time. And finally, the day has come. I checked the weather conditions in hell, and it hasn't frozen over. I've mentioned in previous Wrestling Memories about this guy. I mentioned that I grew up on previous Wrestling Memories. I grew up about 20 miles from the Canadian border. And uh, it was because of being so close and having such proximity to uh, the province of Manitoba, I was able to watch a lot of uh, Winnipeg television. And one of the constants growing up in the 1980s and into the early 90s was that there was always some professional wrestling, whether it was a Saturday or Sunday afternoon, uh, some of the big companies and to some of the, uh, the local homegrown crop as well. And there was one man who was really the really the guy that kind of helped get things going in Winnipeg uh, and keep things going through those years the 80s and the 90s and his legacy lives on today with some of the indies out there. He's a legend in Winnipeg and we are going to talk about all the stuff in his uh, illustrious career both as a professional wrestler and behind the scenes as a promoter. He has worked with all the greats for better or for worse. It's uh, an honor and a pleasure to welcome a Winnipeg legend, essential Canada legend, a Manitoban, Mr. Tony Condello. Finally, welcome to Rasslin' Memories. Welcome,
1: Tony Condello. What an introduction that is, Glenn. I'll tell you, uh, it couldn't be any better than that. It's my pleasure to be on your show.
0: Well, you know what, Tony? It is such a pleasure. I like I mentioned in our intro. What an honor it is to have you on the program. And uh, you know, this WFWA was one of the, the professional wrestling companies I remember very well. Both uh, when you were working with Eddie Sharkey uh, when you had your joint venture in the mid '80s up into the late '80s and into the early '90s until it's eventually uh, changed to the IWA. Lots of great wrestlers that have come through, and it's a uh, uh, really, like I said, it is such a pleasure to be able to talk. We got so much to cover today, Tony. Uh, are you ready for the questions?
1: Any question, I'll tell you. I'm here just to answer them the best way that I can.
0: Okay, we'll, we'll kind of start at the beginning here, and then we'll get into some of the stuff, uh, including uh, your, your uh, work with Eddie Sharkey, some of the stuff you co op there leading up to that big Winnipeg Arena show with uh, Bulldog Brown and Bruiser Brody. But I want to go back further into the time machine, because I want to know a little bit more about your backstory, Tony, because when I started uh, first becoming aware of you, it was because of your promotional side of things, uh, whether it was with the WFWA or some of the stuff that you brought in with the NWA, the U- UWF, AWA Stampede. And whatnot. I want to find out why Tony Candelo, you're such an important figure in the story of Winnipeg wrestling. Take me back. How did you get involved in this business? You got involved your first match, it says. You were wrestling before the day the music died.
1: <laughs> you know what? When I came to this country back in 1953, I was only 11 years old. And uh, in, the, in the school those days, uh, you know, nicknames from all over the place. Uh, slander, call it, call it anything you want. So the elder Italian people told me, Tony, if somebody calls you a DP or a WAP, hit them. I said, what for? <laughs> they told me, they told, well, that means you have no country. I said, okay, fine. So every day of the week, I was, I had problems with the kids in, in the school, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, fight, like, fight like crazy. And sometimes they used to get the best out of me, some bigger boys, right? Yep. So, you know, I said, enough, enough is enough. I took up. Amateur wrestler on the YMCA here in Winnipeg, right? Actually, for a vendetta, in other words, for real, really. So I was an amateur for uh, four years. Uh, no, you know, 11, 12, I was talking about 12 years old. About five years, okay? Mm-hmm. And, of course, I knew uh, what to do, and I uh, kicked the hell out of them. Uh, that was my revenge, right? But anyway, at uh, age 17, uh, what happened, the local wrestlers, they used to... Uh, come to Minneapolis for uh television uh taping for Verticany. The mm-hmm. late Verticany, that is, uh, today I guess. And they asked me Antonio, would you like to come to Minneapolis for right. I Say, sure. Anyway, when I got into Minneapolis, uh Channel Eleven T TV, I believe, somewhere, I forgot the name of the street to where we were at taping. But anyway, Wally Carbo and uh Burn, uh, you say, kid, you want to make uh 75 bucks, right? Mm-hmm. I think it's a lot of money in those days, right? Oh, yeah, well, it's not a lot of money, but it was good pay. I said, for what to wrestle, wrestle. I have I'm not here to wrestle anybody, I just came here to watch. I didn't know anything about professional wrestling, you know, at all. I wasn't smart whatsoever. So the local boy says, "Come, come, don't be a chicken." That's all he had to tell me. Called me bloody chicken, right? Mm-hmm. So okay, I'll do it, right? They're not knowing the game at all, so I, they bore me a pair of trunks and a pair of boots, and uh, they stopped me in the uh, in the middle of the ring, thinking that I might wrestle somebody my size. <laughs> when I seen this guy, six foot four, Lars Anderson, Lara Hemi. That was my opponent, believe it or not, oh
0: wow, wow, well, talk about out of the fire, out of the frying pan into the fire Hainimi, that that's that, oh. that's no midget by any stretch. That's a big man,
1: yeah, <laughs> that's a big man, six three or something like that, yeah, I say, my God, how am I going how am I gonna beat this guy? That was goes in my mind as an amateur wrestler, right, mm-hmm. so this guy you know he's such a pro that he he knew exactly you know that I didn't know anything about you know you know freestyle wrestling right. She let me play with him a little bit, right? So what I did was, I had in mind to beat this guy, right? So how am I going to put him down? So I got to go for his legs. That's the way I was thinking, and I did. This guy's pulled down. I said, "This to myself, he's I'm not that strong <laughs> to put a, this guy down." Six six foot four, two hundred eighty pounds. Anyway, he's spurred me up very fast. I'll tell you. Uh, got me in a headlock as a kid, this is not a price fight. Just listen when what I'll tell you. It's a television taping, and everything will be fine. That was it. Mm-hmm. One, two, three, at the end, he beats me, and uh, what happens now, that uh, the, uh, the Minneapolis taping did show in Winnipeg, like anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Now, those days, the uh, commission of uh, boxing and wrestling commission seen that tape, so he takes away my amateur statics because I wrestle on television. He calls me a professional now, right? Mm-hmm. I was only 17. He told me, he says, you got to wait five years to do nothing if you want your amateur statics back. You know, a young punk, 17 years old, you're not going to wait for anything, right? Oh, I so you know. keep going. And Vern guy says, put on a few pounds, kiddo, and we'll use you. So I did. and From there on, and keep frozen from Vern and local spots here and there, right? That's about it, really. That's how I started into the business.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, right around that time that you started in the business, another guy uh, out of Winnipeg uh, who uh, you later worked a lot with extensively in the in West 4 and other uh, places in between was uh, Bulldog Bob Brown.
1: Yeah, Bulldog Bob Brown worked with me. He's uh, He was a, a good talent and a good villain those days, right? And uh, uh, Mr. Brown at that time, uh, he was in Winnipeg, and actually he wrestled with me many, many times in... Uh, in 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 the '60s and uh, late '50s, he was a tough hombre, Mr. Brown. Right? Mm-hmm. Then he moved to Kansas City. There uh, was a promotion. There What's the name of that promotion.
0: Oh, he worked with Central States uh, with 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 Geigel, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, Mr. Geigel, Bob Geigel. Yeah, so I used to bring him in, and uh, from you know from Kansas to here with other other names, and, on, and you know he was on my shows quite a bit.
0: Mm-hmm. Now I want to talk about uh, you, you know getting this opportunity uh, with with Vern. Now where now you did some traveling, of course. Uh, we you know the traveling conditions are weren't quite as up to snuff as some of today's. But what was that like making the trek uh, down to Minneapolis and kind of getting in and into the loop? And and who were some of the guys that came with you? I, I take it you didn't take solo trips uh, down to the cities. Uh, what's uh, were some of the uh, other guys that uh, from the Winnipeg area or the Manitoba area? Did you have a few guys that traveled with you and, and worked some of the tapings as well?
1: Yeah, well, uh the late uh, Red Deacon uh, uh, Bobby Jones, uh, Wolf Karen, uh Dave Muir—you know a bunch of names from uh, you know from Winnipeg here that we went there and the tape was on uh, on Saturday, I believe, and spend the weekend in Minneapolis and come back. <laughs> Those days uh, to go to Minneapolis and back we cost ten bucks for gas, believe it or not.
0: Oh wow! Yeah, definitely the times are real, real, real different. But yes, uh, as good as it was to appear, uh, appearing with with Vern and the AWA, uh, you know, after a while from reading and from, from from some of the history and what what it has told you, me, it was uh, that you guys were getting. you know, After a while, you had the good days, but then you guys seemed like uh, you weren't getting as many opportunities due to the the Vern's expansion out to Colorado and to California and some of the Midwest. Uh, can you take us through what happened to some of you Winnipeg guys and kind of what led you eventually to take up the promotion side and to get you guys some security as far as work?
1: Well, I could not travel that much, maybe the one week here, one week there, because even that time, uh, actually, my trade, yeah, I'm a hairstylist. Okay. And it came to a point, we came to a point, they had six beauty salons in the city here, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I used to take the time off and go, you know what I'm saying? The same with the rest of the boys. Uh, you know, they had their own jobs. I mean they Verner would never hire you as a steady worker, you know, and just the odd shot here and there and then things all exactly what happened, right? And uh before I quit the ring I did three thousand six hundred and fourteen different events. That's a lot. Yeah. To me anyway.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, yeah. And, uh, you know, when you started up uh, and promoting in the early part of the 1970s, uh, you, were, you, you were, were hitting spots that, you know, not necessarily the AWA was hitting. I mean, AWA, of course, said the Winnipeg Arena, but you were taking it and making it a very organic, very grassroots thing, not only hitting the towns in the province, but you were also going up into the communities up in the Indian reservations as well. So you were really building on something here, and you also uh, gained a, some degree of popularity by working with one. Fred Pelliquin.
1: Oh, my old friend. Yeah. Well, one, you know, back in in the, in in the seventies, uh, uh, I opened up a school here, right, nineteen seventy-two. Actually, I figured, you know, uh, uh, teach a bunch of uh, guys, and you know, do my own promotion. That's exactly what happened. And from that from that year there, I created a guy. Uh, but uh, today, everybody knows who he is. Roddy Roddy Piper, right? I'm the one who gave him that name, Rod Piper. And uh, from there on, you know, he became a superstar, right? And said, with Fred, I'm the guy that taught Fred at that time, we made a deal with Fred. He was a welder. And he says, he built me a ring and I'll teach you how to wrestle. That's how we became friends, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, from there on, I used to do maybe, I don't know, 150, 170 different events a year, uh, WFWA, West for Wrestling Alliance. And we used to go to local towns and uh, uh, Indian reserves and so forth. It was getting really, really busy.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, from there, from there, you know, there was quite a few guys that uh, hit big, but uh, they never kept the job after. I don't know what happened. I Maybe mean, they get fired or something else. But whatever, there were a few guys that came from my uh, from that year uh, that made a living out of it completely.
0: Mm-hmm. What was your first impression of, of, of Roddy? I mean, this young uh, kid, uh, I mean, he wasn't exactly uh, you know what the, the prototypical guy when someone thinks of a professional wrestler today. This guy, you know, the big muscle guy. This guy was uh, a, a little bit on the skinny side, a little bit on the young side. What was, what was it like that to take in Roddy?
1: Well, it was all what happened to Roddy. He answered my ad. I was looking for students, and he comes along, and he wants to be a wrestler. Uh, those days, uh, the fees was $40 per month for the club fees. This kid here he gives me $10 down payment. I never see another dime. You know, it was broke completely, right? Mm-hmm. But anyway, I <laughs> uh, still taught him. And, and um, uh, I think it was one year, roughly five times a week teaching this kid. It comes a time now uh, from 72 to 73. June 5, 1973 was going to be his first match, okay? So I never had a, a name for the guy, uh, a ring name. And uh, uh, I was thinking about uh, what to name the kid, right? So anyway, uh, he, one night he says, Hey, Tony, I'm going to be late for workouts. I said, well, well, why will I be late? I said, leave those young girls alone and come and work out. He said, no, no, said, I'm taking music lessons. I said, sure you are, you know? Mm-hmm. But he was. I didn't know anything about it. He belongs to a local band here, right? A bagpipes band. And comes back to the club, quarter to ten. And I says to him smartly, I said, Did you finish your musical lessons? So you don't believe me? Do you? He says, no, I don't believe you. He goes in his car and brings in his bagpipes. I'm sitting there, you know, promoter, you know, trying to get ideas uh, about a- anything, really. Mm-hmm. I says to him, Can you play those things? You load them up, you sure can play. So I have an idea for you. I'm going to call you Rod because his name is Roderick. Yep. I'm going to give you Rod because the bagpipes, I come up with the word Piper. So I named him Rod Piper. June fifth is you're gonna go in the arena as Roy Piber playing this uh octopus that you have there, right? Yeah. He says, You're crazy, he said, I don't wanna do it. I said, Well you you have anything to lose? <laughs> and that was it. He was with me for I you don't know, a year and a half, two years and uh uh from here went to Portland, Oregon and keep going down the States under that name until he hit Vince McMahon and uh you know, change his name to Hot Rod, or Roddy Roddy Piper, whatever. That was it. Well, the you, only one thing I gotta tell, the only thing I gotta give that kid is this: he told me, even at seventeen years old, what he wanted to be. He says, "I want to work for a big, huge company, main eventer, and I want to become a movie star." Blah blah blah. And he do it all?
0: There now, you have it. Yeah. Is, now, what would you think, though? I mean, I mean, there's always these kids with these big dreams. Did, did, when, when this finally happened, was this one of these things that? Yeah, he, he talked about it, but. Were you actually, were you still kind of genuinely surprised, even though he did have that confidence, because he was still a little guy? And there's a lot, there's only a few opportunities that a whole lot of people trying to get those opportunities. Was it just something about him that just, you, you kind of knew that he would be that guy? I knew, I knew one of these days, the right place, the right location, this guy's going
1: to make because he's got a lot of talent. He was great on the mic. You know, this guy could go forever on the mic. Mm hmm. And as uh, long as you can cut a promo on the on the, on you know for television, that's half the battle. And then you know how to wrestle too. And the gimmick was there. That was it. Mm-hmm. Actually, I told him to wear that. I told him I says, uh, when I gave him that name. I says, "Have you got the skirt that goes along with it?" <laughs> <laughs> I meant the uniform. He says, "You mean the kilt?" Yeah, the kilt. And that's the way I want you to go in that ring. On June fifth, nineteen seventy-three, actually he wrestled me. That was his first match. Right here in Winnipeg. I'm going to beat the crap out of
0: everybody. (laughs) (laughs) We are talking with Winnipeg pro wrestling legend Tony Candelo. And Tony, uh, we are talking about your early days of promotion. We just talked a little bit about uh, one of the guys you helped train, Roddy, Roddy Piper. But I want to talk a little bit about, you know, because in the world of promotion, there's a lot of competitiveness and there was uh, a lot of competitive competitive uh, nature here, up even in the province of Manitoba. Now you were doing these shows; you were a couple of years into your promoting career, you know, playing the smaller towns, but getting some decent houses, building up your own uh, brand. But then you hear uh, Vern Gagne enters the picture. Now, again, we talked about Vern having a hold uh, mainly on, on on the Winnipeg uh, arena. But what was that like uh, when when Vern kind of wanted to get in inch in on your turf? and start uh, booking some towns that you were working in. Uh, this had to have been uh, a, a bit contentious.
1: Well, you know, I always respect promoters. doesn't matter who they were and who they are today. And uh, I respect their territory and so forth. If you're going to close any deals uh, that one promoter wants to go in your territory, you just discuss the matter, right? But this deal here with Mr. Gagne, uh, what happened was, I don't know why he did it, but he did it. Uh, he figured this kid is getting too big. That's exactly what he figured. He says, one of these days, he might run against me if he gets too big into the business. Well, was a, I never had the intention of running the Winnipeg Arena against Bernadine or anybody else. I, did my, I, I would do my, my own little thing, right? Yeah. But what happened and what does he do? He had the power of television those days, and he had the stars, of course. Andre the Giant or the Hulk and whatever, right? He had them all. He goes to a place called Duffin, Manitoba, with Andre the Giant and all the all the names, blah, blah, blah. He charged everybody ten dollars to get in. he sold out, of course. I was drawn by two thousand people with uh, people that I had, right? Mm-hmm. And when he went, he sold the arena. He, did, he had did over six thousand people, charge everybody ten like that was fine. But what I attend the event and I watched the show, and what he did was he killed the word wrestling in that town. How do you kill wrestling in any town? Don't work in the ring. Don't wrestle, right? Mm-hmm. So, he did that on purpose just to kill me out.
0: And what kind of houses were you drawing I, in, in Dauphin at that time? Uh, I mean, and to have it... 2,000 people.
1: 2,000, 2, 1,800, 1,500, right? And stuff like that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I went to Dauphin five times and the crowd was never under 1,600, 1,500. Max, I think it was 2,300, something like that. No, 2,033. Now I remember. Mm -hmm. That was pretty good for, you know, small potatoes, right? Oh, absolutely. But, uh, yeah, when he came along, you know, uh, like I said, he drew over 6,000 people, sold out. But anyway, I said, why this guy? He's got the world by the tail. He's a millionaire, apparently, right? Mm -hmm. He's got all the superstars. Why want to come here and does this not only to me but to the wrestling game itself, right? Mm -hmm. So I got pissed off, right? One of these days, my friend, you're going to get yours. And he did. 1981,
0: mm -hmm. 1981, 1982,
1: I believe, I get a call from Mr. Vince McMahon from Connecticut. Now, he knew I had a beef with Mr. Gagne. He knew that. All the boys knew because all of a sudden, you know, all the talent uh, went with Vince McMahon, right? But he knew I had a beef with uh, Mr. Gagne because of that promotion of that time and they asked me if I could get him the lease or break the lease Vernon had with the uh, Winnipeg Enterprise. And uh, I don't... He knew that I could do it. He knew I could do it because clients that I had for the hair business, you know, people that I knew anyway, beside the point. But before I broke his lease, I called Minneapolis over 10 times, talked to the bird, right? Mm-hmm. And never answered my calls. Last guy that did answer my call was Mr. Nick Buckwinkle. I said, uh, Buckwinkle, Tony Condello here, you tell Ver if he doesn't phone me by tomorrow morning, his lease, monopoly lease actually, that he has with the city of Winnipeg, will be broken. Never call me back. Then they had my, I had my meeting with the enterprise, and uh, you know, it's a uh, public building, so they had no rights to give uh, uh, AWA. Uh, the exclusive rights uh two days before and three days after nobody else can promote wrestling except himself, right? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, it's city property. That's the reason. If you need prior organization, do whatever you want. And that's why I got him. And then I says to him, well, you don't fight me anymore. You fight this dude, right? And you know the rest of it. And then later on, when he lost everything, like the TV rights and blah, 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 right? Mm-hmm. I get a call from uh, uh his son, a uh, great guy, Yankee, uh he wants to hook up with me now uh to run the AW Tapes here in Winnipeg. Well I figured okay you know what? Uh, I'll do it. The only reason I'm gonna do it though is I'll buy two shows from you guys and I'll do my deal after I run your tapes, right? You know, promote the the events. No problem. Anyway what happened I bought two shows from him and uh the two remains. I bought two shows for fifteen thousand dollars, which wasn't a lot of money then for two shows. So did the brand in Manitoba give me his money, seventy five hundred? And now we're on the Winnipeg Arena. I had the Wahoo McDaniel and Manny Manny Fernandez, I believe. Yeah, Manny Fernandez yeah. cage match. Special guest referee Veron The gentleman, I said. I'm not going to tell you how to wrestle. You're pro enough to know what to do and so forth. But at least I won 12, 15 minutes out of this match, cage match. But what happened now? I get two and a half minutes, three minutes maximum. Marine and gives a shot to Money Fernandez. Anyway, disqualifies him. He puts himself over. The match is over. Right? People, what happens? They start booing, right? Mm-hmm. Well, back in the dress room. Back in the dress room, I says, gentlemen. Uh, Wahoo, thank you very much. Manny, thank you very much. Mr. Ganya. I'd like to have a word with you. Because the deal was at least 10 minutes, twelve, fifteen. You give me two and a half, three minutes. Hey, you broke your contract, man. I'm not going to pay you. I owe you $7,500. i am not going to pay you. And, you know, know, all respect, do whatever you want to do. Here's my card. You know who I am. Get a hold of your lawyer. Get hold my... well, I never heard no more. That was the end of that. Mm-hmm.
2: That
0: so that
1: was, that was it. the end of Mr
2: mm-hmm. and uh, I
1: respect the poor guy the poor guy is is dead now, so I uh, respect him that and the specialist son or whatever right you know what I'm saying? the mm-hmm. family But oh yeah, that's exactly what happened, then.
0: Let's yeah, it was a, it was a goes around comes around situation because after what he did with going into those talents and and kind of effectively killing it for you over the next couple of years, yeah. it took it took a while for you to, to kind of get things going. You you still were in, you had a presence in pro wrestling, but you got back on the television, uh, got on the TV, and I remember this very well uh, watching it on CKY uh, CTB television out of Can or Winnipeg. It was I remember you guys you, you hooking up uh, Tony Condello with Eddie Sharkey, uh, another Minnesota promoter now. What made you want to get into bed with another Minnesota promoter after kind of dealing with, with Vern Gagne? And, and, and t- let's talk about what led to uh, you forming up, hooking up with Eddie Sharkey from the Pro Wrestling America promotion Eddie, to, to form
2: WFWA.
1: Eddie Sharkey was the same as me, you know, a going, going, uh, a going guy, nice guy, and so forth. So I trust Eddie, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I needed new names and new talent, and I hooked up with the guy, right? But he, he treated me... We respect. I treated him with respect. That's the way it went with the hmm You know, today I haven't heard from him for years, but I uh, took him in and uh, took him, new names, new talent, which he had good, good talent, and he became my friend, really. Mm-hmm. So, we- so we respect each other. That's the way it went
0: hmm and, and and the talent exchange uh, you got from from Minneapolis, uh really kind of meshed in with some of the, the local uh, Winnipeg and Manitoba pro- provincial talent that you had up in Winnipeg. Uh you had guys like the Terminators and uh Derek Dukes and, and, and Ricky Rice. Derek Dukes, yeah.
1: Ricky Rice. I remember those names. Yeah. Ricky Rice, Derek Dukes, oh yeah. They we're
0: great guys. Good performers too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But what about those Terminators uh, that Eddie Sharkey? Eddie Sharkey was actually doing some managing uh, at the time too, as well as working uh, behind the scenes.
1: The Terminators were great performers, great, great villains, believe me. And I like their looks, and the, they 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 got the crowd going like you never believe, especially in Manitoba. I don't know what happened to them today, but they were good, uh, good, good performers. The Terminators.
0: Mm-hmm. And the thing I, I just very good. The thing is, I just remember and George uh, Shire, uh, who sometimes uh, does some guest spots for me on the show was uh, George Shire tells me the stories uh, about him and Mick Karsh doing television uh, for you and uh, the big event that you had in the Winnipeg Arena. Uh, I mean, you had, Bruiser Bro- you had Bruiser Brody and Bulldog Bob Brown. You brought, of course, uh, your relationship with Bob through the years, uh, being a Manitoba guy and also uh, with Central States, uh, helping to get Brody. Let's talk about how you got Brody up here and, and talk about Bulldog and Brody and, and the big match at the Winnipeg Arena, uh, you know... Talk about the kind of the pros and the cons as we look back at it.
1: Well, you know, I I, tell, I asked Bulldog Bob Brown that time, said, who are you feuding with? And he's the one who come up with the name, Bruiser Brody. I said, well, just a bit of that, Bruiser Brody. You know, my, my understanding as uh, you know, that what I read and so forth, uh, he doesn't show up. Uh, promote his book, but he doesn't show up to the shows. He said, Tony, that's a lie. Anyway, book him. But he does. He was shooting Brody at that time, and uh, that's where he got booked with the case, Bulldog Barbaro. So I did ask the same question to Mr. Brody. Is that true that uh, promoters books, don't show up? Tony, because I'm here, and I... He said, some promoters, what they do, they advertise me without my permission, whatever. I was never booked. And of course, I'm not going to show up if I wasn't ever booked, right? That was the story he told me. So anyway... After the event, he told me that he was going to go to uh, Japan for a couple of weeks, and he said when he comes back from Japan, he offered me an opportunity to be his partner, uh, you know, to be promoting together, and they were going to do something big, but the poor guy never made it. That was the end of the story.
0: Hmm, and uh, of course, inevitably, uh, you and uh, Eddie Sharkey parting uh, ways. You know, even when the West Four uh, promotion wasn't on TV, you were you were working uh, behind the scenes to uh, bring in some uh, other bigger companies to come up to Winnipeg to work shows and get the television slot. And I want to talk about some of the people you you brought in from time to time here. Uh, uh, we're going to talk about some of the United States promoters, but for a brief time, uh, you, you there was a venture with uh, the Hart family and the Stampede Wrestling. Uh, could you talk a little bit about working with uh, the Stampede people and just what inevitably led to that getting squashed?
1: Well, that time, uh, Vince uh, McMahon. Uh, before Vince McMahon uh, came to the territory, I was uh, thinking of uh, bringing new blood, you know, new faces. For my, for my television series, right? like I came with Stampede, right? Mm. And there's Stampede, a sophomore, and Stu Hart, the, the poor guy is, is gone too now. God bless his soul. But beside the point, I go to deal with Stu Hart, and uh, I have to say that he stiffed me for five grand, right? <laughs> 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 but beside the point, But so beside the point, uh, then after Stampede, that's when uh, uh, Ms. McMahon came, you know, came around, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, before that before that I had uh caused a deal with um NWA and, uh, uh what was the name uh
0: well, yeah, the NWA. I, yeah, the NWA, because initially I remember up in Winnipeg, we're talking with uh, Winnipeg pro wrestling legend uh, Tony Candelo. Uh, we're talking about TV uh, of Winnipeg pro wrestling wise in the 80s. What I remember before the NWA, the big program was you had a couple of weeks uh, for a good period there showing Bill Watts' Universal Wrestling Federation syndicated show. A show that was uh, very cutting edge for its time and it was very... I, I, on the verge of something, but I guess the money kind of ran out uh, with that situation, and that kind of led to the NWA. Talk about the transition from having that Universal Wrestling Federation show uh, in, in Winnipeg, working uh, with Watts, and then uh, having that fall apart. I dead. went
1: I went to see Mr. Watts. Uh, where, what was the name of that state? I forgot now. Oklahoma? Georgia? No. Where? Oklahoma? That Maybe that's Oklahoma, yeah. I met with... Uh, Cardboard Bill Watson. I loved his tape. He, he uh, was that not tape, incredible. And uh, we closed a deal, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, to run these tapes in Winnipeg, then they was going to bring him in as a promoter, right? And then uh, something happened there. He broke up with his wife. Whatever, everything went upside down. And uh, of course, I started running these tapes, and uh, that was it. Uh, great tape, and. Then I was introduced to the National Wrestling Alliance. That's who he was, the NWA National Wrestling, uh, Jim Crocker Promotion. And uh, I went and met him in Vegas, and we closed a deal. I ran his tapes for about a year. And then I brought in two shows, uh, Brandon and the Winnipeg Arena. And uh, I get a call from Kyle Bill Watson at that time. Says Tony, watch out, because uh, you, they, these people might stiff you. They just sold to Atlanta. You Know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Okay, fine. Uh, my deal was thirty-five grand for two shows and uh, plus eight thousand dollars for airfare. That was my deal. I pay everything else, right? If I was going to make a buck uh, or lose a buck, that was the uh, that was the whole deal. But anyway, I sent him the money, thirty-five grand, and uh, sent him a check for the, the airplane fare for eight thousand dollars. At that time, when I was in Brandon. And I get a call from Carbo uh, Bill Watts. It says, Tony Watch uh, i Charlie, my nephew." Meanwhile, uh, the same day, I get a call from a guy named uh, Burnett, Jim Burnett.
0: Oh, yes, a uh, legendary uh, name in professional wrestling since the early days of television. This guy's uh, somehow found his way into the picture, and he has found your, his way into your life. Talk about Jim Barnett. <laughs>
1: I got a call from this guy, Jim Burnett. You know, the way I'm laughing, the way he used to talk, right? And it says, uh, Tony, this is Jim Burnett, <laughs> you know, with the uh, accent that he had. Say, would you mind if you give uh, Ric Flair and J.J. J. Dillon uh, $3,000 in Canadian money for spending money, and we'll send you a check? I says, no problem. So I'll give Ric Flair and J.J. J. Dillon three grand. So... What's going on now is that uh, uh, Jim Burnett is supposed to pay the referees, right? I I wasn't responsible for the referees. I already paid my time, except the referees. So I get a check for the referees from his office, and I know three thousand dollars. So anyway, what happens? I Mr. uh, Burnett coming every got my three thousand dollars for where I board uh, under your direction to. uh, Rick Flair and the JJ J. Dillon. Oh my secretary must have forgot all about it. Sure so, yeah, no problem. So anyway, what happens now? I was worried they might stiff me, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but anyway, uh I phone my bank at that time and just stop paying on the eight thousand dollar check. Two weeks go by. And uh, of course all of a sudden Mr. Burnett uh finds out that the check is not good, right? He calls me up, Tony, this is Mr. Burnett, he says, <laughs> I'm so ashamed. I'm so ashamed uh, you, with the office that uh, you check, come back NSF. I said, no, sir. Read her correctly. It's not say NSF. He says, stop payment. Incorrect figure. <laughs> <laughs> I say, you owe me three grand, and I owe you eight thousand dollars. It's simple the matter to justify. Send me an invoice. I'll send you five thousand dollars, and we're even. But what they do now? They hire a lawyer here in Winnipeg because the other's check. I responded to it and I told them the same story. I got nothing to hide. Here's the situation. Here's my receipt to what I paid out. There's no problem. Here's my $5,000, but I need an invoice before I do anything and never heard no more from those guys. Mm-hmm. So they took me for a three. I took them for five. <laughs>
2: There
0: you go. <laughs> the up and down world of dealing with professional wrestling promoters behind the scenes, uh, talking with Tony Candela. Now, Tony, we talked about you dealing with uh, some of the major companies here. Uh, uh, you went back in and revived the West 4 Wrestling Alliance uh, in the latter part of the 1980s. And uh, you really ended up by creating, recreating this, relaunching this West for a uh, company of yours. You created some great opportunities for what was then a very green and but very bright batch of young wrestlers willing to learn, combined with some really solid Canadian veterans. Whereas you had the Chi-Chi Cruises of the world, and through the years you had Chris Jericho's, the Land Storms, the Easy Riders, the Naturals, mixed up with veterans like uh, Jim Bronzel, Chicano, and LKC, Bulldog, Kerry Brown. This was uh, quite the deal, but the opportunities you brought uh, in, uh, as well as the television, you definitely were uh, a guy who helped uh, a lot of uh, got kids on their way to uh, some on the way to superstardom.
1: You know, uh, those kids—they had a lot of talent, and I knew one of these days are going to hit big with you know somebody in this world. And uh, of course, uh, talking about Edge or Christian and Rhino, all the Chris Jericho, of course, uh, you know it was all what happened there—that. Uh, from me, they were with me about three, four years, or whatever the time was. And today,
0: they're superstars. hmm And one of the ultimate testers, one of the ultimate testers you put them on, Tony. I got we got to talk about this. Was uh, come winter time when it was uh, a time to head up uh, further north, up into the real belly of the beast. Those legendary death trips. I mean, uh, there's a lot of guys some, that still talk about those uh, death trips today. I think one guy who probably won't would be Scott Norton, right?
1: You know, I was the first promoter that brought live uh, live entertainment uh, as far as wrestling into those communities. Uh, it was a grand chief here in Manitoba, and Phil Fontaine says Tony, I, I introduced to these communities, but uh, the only reason I wanted you to do is uh, go there, do the wrestling, blah, blah, blah. He says, but talk to the kids that stay away from drugs, alcohol, and all that stuff. Well, uh, to me, it was a new territory, but I didn't know what it was all about until I tried it. My God, you got to go to the Winter Roads frozen lakes, frozen ocean, whatever. And, uh, to travel that, that time, let's say 150 clicks, takes about 15 hours. That's the oh. only could go. Oh yeah, well, it was incredible. But today it's not too bad. It's like it used to be. And, uh, but anyway, uh, I did all that and, uh, fantastic audience, you know, really. Uh, so anyway, I get a call from Ken Petura. Don't forget this. He says, Tony, we have, a. I have a guy named Scott Norton, he says he's really big, you know but he needs a little bit of uh uh adjustment, he says to me. He's gotta to go to Japan and uh, you know, and he says, Don't no, no favor to him, he says, just put him right through, make him work or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. It's okay. So what's the deal here? How much you gotta pay this guy? He says, ah, I give him four hundred fifty bucks a week. Okay, no problem. So you yeah, this element here, Scott Norton comes to Winnipeg, blah blah blah. He was broke before he started. Because he, he was going to bars, he had to spend a couple of days in Winnipeg. He was buying everybody drinks. So, you know, I uh, what I did was uh, loan him some money on a van. Before you know, before he had his first match, he broke. He blew his payroll already. But beside the point—that was his business, right? Mm-hmm. So now I know that these guys had never been in a winter roads. You know, he got to cross frozen lakes, and so sometime I used to play a rib in these guys, right? <laughs> the greenhorns—that is what so <laughs> I used to call them. So we're in the middle. Of, just imagine, in the middle of a big lake, and a lonely road right in the middle of ice. Right? Yeah. Sometimes what happens is a big crack in the in the in the lake. It's for real. It's a shoot, and water comes out of it. But I know how dangerous it is, and I know if it's uh, uh, safe to cross and so forth. But anyway, I did, this morning, uh, then. I come out of the van, and I looked over the situation. I come back and shaking my head. and But everybody's watching me while I'm on this in front, you know, on top of the ice. So I said, gentlemen, I said, I don't know what we're going to do here. This lake is starting to open up, and everybody's going to die. And I start ribbing them that way, right? Mm-hmm. I see Mr. Norton in the van. He's starting to pray, saying goodbye to his family. <laughs> and so forth, because he's going to die. He believed that. Oh, wow. At the end of the story, when I see this big boy crying, because you know, he believes you know, what he believes, right? For what he's seen, he, he sees the water and the lake, he knows where we are. He's saying goodbye to everybody. At the end of the story is, I didn't want to tell him it was a rib. <laughs> if so I told him it was a joke, because I was going to break my back, right? Mm. <laughs> so I made him believe what he wanted to believe, right? Mm-hmm. That was Scott Norton.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, <laughs> now, did you ever get any of, uh, of uh, the the old vets to go up and do uh, do the trips? I mean, uh, you've done some oh, work. Oh, here's it,
2: one. Here's one. Okay, here's only. one. The Baron
1: <laughs> yes, yes,
0: I want to hear this.
1: Baron Moresky. we're in the road, and the vehicle breaks down. i mean, We're talking about 40 forty, fifty below. Okay, in middle nowhere, nowhere to get help. Everybody's in a panic. Oh, the alternator went under the van. and That's what it was. The alternator. Now, you got no heat. You have nothing, right? Mm-hmm. So the van is ice already. It was me, the Baron, that's who he was. Me, the Baron, and the the, the, the French Red Dog, Fred Telequin, right? Mm-hmm. We got to the van. We had extra gas anyway. Here's the Baron. I'll tell you what a troop of this man was with an axe, with a saw, whatever we had, you know, uh, in the vans. Cutting wood, make a fire. We go inside the bush, cut the fire, make a big bonfire. You know, pour gasoline over it so we, you know, we'll start and so forth. Until when those big semi trucks came by and they they help us out. Now this guy was a trooper and a half, Bermeransky. <laughs> 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 Did he? Uh, was that
0: just he? Came, was that just the one tour he went on with you up up, up there?
1: Yeah, one tour. Yeah, well, for uh, I think it was two weeks tour. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Did any of the other
1: but guys? Of course. He... Oh, go ahead. Of course, you know, he came to my tapings here, you know, locally in Winnipeg, whatever I had, uh, you know, some shows, eh? Yeah, yeah, you did a lot up of... Up th- north.
2: Oh, go
0: ahead.
1: Up north, he was there for two weeks, yeah.
0: Okay, yeah, because you remember, the, I remember the tapings. Uh, you uh, did some uh, various venues around Winnipeg. Uh, the ones I can remember were uh, some of the shots you did uh, at Saint's Fort Gary at the at the old roller rink that was there, and also uh, the ones where I saw Baron and Kenny Patera and Scott Norton and uh, Mike Shaw, aka Muck and Sing was uh the club yeah. taboo now uh boy this, when I think of WFWA that's another thing the memories of of club taboo and you guys had uh, had some pretty good shows i I can still remember Sheik Adnan L Casey uh, and, and all those great AWA guys mixing with some of the youngsters
1: yeah they, you know uh, you know when, when I stop and think about it which sometimes I do I had pretty good uh, pretty good crews some big names uh the club taboo. You oh. know, like you said, the Scott Norton, the Kempe the Chic, the whatever. They're all there. And I mm-hmm. still got them on tape today.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah. You said uh, you have, uh, you pretty much have the, the entire master library. Is that what we're talking about? You got, you got all I the got shows?
1: Yeah, I got 300, 300 one-hour edit tape of all those people that we mentioned in my library, right? And uh, once upon a time, uh, Mr., uh, uh, the, the, the poor boy, uh, Vince McMahon, give me an offer right
2: mm-hmm.
1: 50, 50 grand i says, you know what i blew over a million million point two in this tapes you know four thousand dollars each those days to shoot and shoot and uh, edit right and uh i said well, why is why is me for 50 grand right i said no thank you sir I'll Still remain friends and we'll see you later right mm-hmm. forget it right now what i'm gonna do i got a company they gonna make into D V dvds and uh trying to go to somewhere, Kmart, whatever, blah, 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 and sell the whole works for you.
0: Mm-hmm. What are you yeah. going to do with them, right? Well, exactly. And uh, you know what? There has There's you know the, uh, pockets of fans ah. that's out there that w- probably have read about it or have heard about it here in the United States about your company and some of the great names that have come through. I mean, there's uh, uh, lots of companies out here like your High Spots and other areas that are, I think would uh, be fertile ground for uh, your story and uh, those tapes because there's... A lot. I think it's just a lot of great undiscovered uh, matches and moments uh, that uh, I think more people need to be made aware of.
1: See, Chris Jericho was his first match here uh, in Winnipeg, in Manitoba, televised. That was his first match at that time, in which, in which the footage, uh, Mister McMahon used it without my permission. On uh, the D V D they solo on Chris Jericho over over the wall or something, I forgot what it was. Mm-hmm. and what I would have th- sued him but I, I was I was told to sue him for it. I said, you know what, forget it.
2: You mm-hmm. know what I mean?
0: And what I can remember oh too God. was you you got you taped at a hotel. Uh, there, what was the name of the hotel? I remember you had Nick Bockwinkle you brought up to do for a shot to do some announcing. Oh, uh, and okay. Gene Kaniski was this was one of the last moments of Gene Kaniski's pro wrestling career. You had him up for a taping. You had him working with a very young Chris Jericho. I can remember Lance Storm. I think you had even uh, Champagne Jerry Morrow. I, I just what was the name of that That's hotel? Right. I mean, you had, it was a nice little setup.
1: That time was called the International Inn. International Inn. And uh you know, yeah, when I booked uh, Nick Bachwinkle to announce for television with Joe Yell, a good friend of mine here locally, uh Nick Bachwinkel Tony, uh he's a special guest referee. Well I said, Who oh, I don't know anybody, either. I can't think of anybody. So I'll give you a name, Jim Canisky. Jim Yeah. Anyway, he gave me his number, I called him in Washington, I think it was Washington, whatever it was. And uh, I told him what we're doing. I said, your good friend, Nick Buckwin, who's here, and uh, I would like you to come down to Winnipeg, and special guest referee. You know, how fast did used to talk. Well, okay, twenty. we'll anyway, we'll close the deal. <laughs> he said, well, what can I charge? He's charging me very, very few dollars. right? So he came down. Mm-hmm. While we're taping now, here's the, uh, the, uh, the truth. Is not what happened. like well, Jim Kaminsky wrestled for me that night. Uh, for this taping. And Nick Buckels said, Tony, go to Gene, ask him if he wants to put his boots on for the last time or whatever uh, against his young bucks. And I did. By the way, Jim Kadeski spotted me. He says, he He put you up to it. (laughs) Let me put me up to what? This buckwinkle push up to this as the LK did as they asked me to ask you, and he put his boots on and he wrestled those young guys. And I'll tell you, the fear of these young guys that night, because they knew that Jim was was incredible. <laughs> it was incredible. I still got his and I was told that I have his last his last tape for television, and I have it.
0: Oh, and in your vaults now, Tony. We got some time for some some questions. I had some uh, friends of mine who were big fans of a, of your product, the WFWA. They had a few questions for you, as well as uh, Mister Mick Karsh. Like I mentioned, Mick Karsh uh, worked for you briefly uh, when you were working with uh, the co-op with Eddie Sharkey back around 1986. Well, Mick has a few questions for you. If you're ready to answer, nothing too scandalous, no Tony. Nothing too scandalous.
1: No, no problem. He wants they even scandalous, I answer them.
0: <laughs> oh, maybe I should have asked it. Okay, I got a question. He, he wants to know uh, what was your experiences like working with Chris Markov.
1: <laughs> Chris Markov. Here's another one. I remember Chris Markov. You know, he wrestled the way he wrestled, right? Mm-hmm. Chris Markov and uh, the Sheik. That's who he was. We're in a military grounds. Listen to this one. <laughs> military grounds. Way up north. And they treat us like kings, right? Yeah. And we're talking about military, right? So everybody had his own room, like one, two, three, four, five. I mean, food like uh, you never dream, a banquet, steaks, anything you wanted, you know, the military, right? Mm-hmm. So at the end of the story, when we come back to Winnipeg, I get a call from number one and two. That's where the Sheik and uh, Markov faded, you know, in, in the banks, there, whatever they have up there, right? They said there's a few asteroids missing and a few can whatever. I think it was the asteroids, yeah. They all want an asteroid. right? Mm-hmm. But oh no, what happens is that because even though it's an asteroid, everything is counted up there, right? It's uh, it's government stuff, you, you know what I'm saying?
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. They got it to, to a T. It's,
1: yeah, it's government it's government stuff. I says, Well, gentlemen, I don't know what <laughs> who stayed in that room, right? And, they told him the names. That's the names you had Tony, in room number one or room number two, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, what happened is this. They came uh, up to a point that they were not completely full paid over their pay. So I questioned them, the Sheik and uh, uh, Markov. I said, listen, guys, I know you took this goddamn last race. Not a big deal, but it is a big deal. i got to return them. I don't know why those people are going to charge you, man. It's theft government, they deny it. I said, you're responsible for what's up in your room, right? So I intend to say, you know what? I'm not going to pay you, man. I'm the, See, I'm getting the blame now because of you guys. Wow, well, you're going to do this? I said, you're going to do nothing. I said, look at that door. I said, take a look. <laughs> Those guys are no wrestlers.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Put a hand on me. I said, you're not going to get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Alive anyway. <laughs> and that was the end of them. i never used them ever again. But I, I repaid, I repaid the uh, the cost of the the astros to the uh, to the military there, and they charged me a hundred dollars a piece or whatever it was. Fucking mm. like little astros. Besides the point, I, I gave them like two hundred bucks, just you know, a piece, right?
2: Yeah, remedy. I said
1: they took it for so. I said they took her for a souvenir, you no, know, because I need the act because it probably says Canada, right? You know what I'm saying?
2: Sure, sure, sure. Uh, but
1: I still they had no, I still they had no, you know, no reason to take it.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, Mick also wants to uh, know what it was like to working with uh, guys uh, who uh, were more known out in uh, Western Canada, further out. Uh, we're talking about Diamond, Timothy, Flowers, and Goldie Rogers.
1: <laughs> There's two guys, I'll tell you. Uh, another another incident with uh, Go, uh, Goldie Rogers. This guy was a good was a good guy, really. I like Goldie, and uh, Timothy worked really hard for me, right? Except one incident, one incident a game. We're actually in Thompson someplace, and he borrowed some money from me, right? Uh, $400. He bought whatever he bought. He said, I just seen a couple guys with leather jackets. That's his bloody business. So anyway, I borrowed him $400. At the end of the story comes along. His last match in Winnipeg here at the rendezvous. I pay him off. He said, where is you short $400? I said, I'm not sure of anything. I paid you completely. I says, uh, and he he's arguing with me, right? Until you realized, at the end, that he borrowed $400. <laughs> I said, you know what? You guys are busy in the head sometimes, whatever you smoke, kind of my bloody business, but don't call me a lie, I didn't pay you. I said, I paid you. And you were arguing the point that I did not. I'm trying to steal for $400. I said. <laughs> I said, you know what? See you later man. never use you again. Ever. The only guy, the only guy that I actually owe money in this business, as far as a wrestler, I tell you who it is: Landstorm, Landstorm,
0: Landstorm. Oh, land got.
1: Yeah, watch this. I have a story behind this. <laughs> <laughs> One week ago on the road, he cost me thirty grand. Right, I lost thirty thousand mm-hmm. dollars. You know, things went bad. Right, the only guy I was short was to pay a remaining balance. Is lands. Storm, $150. Lance says, don't worry about it. Send me whenever you have it. And all of a sudden, after all this, he gets signs up. He signs himself up with, you know, he got picked up by Vince, right? Vince McMahon, eh? WF w- or WWE that time. I think it was WWF. Anyway, the matter for this money. He says, you know, you, you told me to forget it. It's okay. Don't worry about it. What do you mean, don't worry No, don't because he was in the money now, right? The was a big shot, right? Sure. So, what happens now after you quit Vince or whatever happened there? And doesn't matter. And he uh, opened up a school there in Calgary, teach people how to wrestle, right? Uh, give him so much money, you're out in three months. What can you learn in three months? I'll never understand that. But beside the point, that's his business. That's way way of teaching. He used to take me three goddamn years before I could tell a guy who's going to be any good or not. This guy is three months, but whatever. And he, uh, says, Tony, he, said, right. he says, Tony, he says, you still do your Norton tour? I says, yeah. So we want to use some of my guys. He says, yeah, no problem, Lance. So I says, by all means, send me some pictures and blah, blah, blah. So he does. So what happened? Look at his pictures now, and I'll tell you, the poor guys are just beginners, right? And maybe at maximum one guy a 140 pounds of skin and bones. You know I mean? I got to bring some bodies up there. You know what I'm saying? Sure. So what happened that year, though? What happened that year was... That, that the uh, winter rose because of weather changed. I did not know if I was going to go or not because <laughs> weather condition. I did, you're not going to cross the ice roads if it's melting, right? <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I didn't know if I was going. So all of a sudden, I get a call from one of the chiefs of forces. Well, Tony, the next week the, the roads will be fine. I only had a week to work. if I want to go. So I just booked to some co- uh, uh, some local guys, and I did the tour. Maybe five days It was a short tour, right? But I never responded uh, to Landstorm, right? Because I never did say to him the guys are booked. Just send me some pictures, right? Yeah. And because of that, uh, because I did not hire his uh, his um, uh, students, got pissed off at me. So he goes to the internet under his Landstorm website, and he says to, to the public that I owe him $450. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That's bad news, man, because he actually... it owes me money when I stopped and thinking. When I used to bring him in from Calgary to here for uh, television taping, you know how busy you get when you do taping, right? Yeah. He used to give a double receipt for gas. I used to pay him because, you know, here's a receipt, here's your money. Until I realized... How far is Calgary? Right? Only 800 miles, right? Mm-hmm. Well, gas gonna be 400, dollars right? <laughs> <laughs> Especially those days. That's why I used to pay him 50, 400. He used to give me double receipts, smack. <laughs> double receipts. Play Unbelievable.
0: Playing the play tired to play that game. Uh, hey, I got one more from Mick. He wants. He, he's definitely uh, just throwing out some names from the past here, and we're having fun. He just wonders, what were you thinking when you brought in the mighty Moe? Mo Malone, the Cannonball. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: this uh, Mario, he's from the states, right? Yep, that's what he's from. And uh, I sponsored him actually to come to this country that time as uh, an employee of Westward Matchmakers or whatever it was, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Without a job, because you know he couldn't stay here. Then he gets married anyway. Everything is fine. He's in Canada, right? Mm-hmm. And I teach this guy to wrestle, but this guy, I'm telling you, he's a, he's a powerhouse. You know? They got horses back, this guy. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm telling you, this guy was incredible. <laughs> so I taught him the game, but remember one evening that uh, at a, a show in a bar in Winnipeg here. He's wrestling Red Bastine or something, Red Bastine, whatever it was. Now what happens now? Mighty Moulton loses it. He picks up this guy. From the middle of the ring, he lifts him right up like a bench press, right up, military press, and peels this guy right on top of the bloody table, glass beer all over the place. Oh, my God. But uh, he, he lost it completely. I go to, hey, Mo, wake up here. What the hell are you doing, man? All of a sudden, I realize what he did and uh, <laughs> he apologized and all that, but I thought he killed the poor kid, right? But beside the point, that's what he was, right? He's a powerhouse. You think that was a powerhouse? Then mm-hmm. I never heard no more. I don't know what happened, and uh, he moved out of Winnipeg. And I don't know up to date where he is. I don't know the. Mm-hmm.
0: I have. A another, he was
2: a very powerful man.
0: Yeah, yeah, very. The power lifting. Uh, I remember the the very much that was the the, the promotion behind the mighty Mo. Hey, I got uh, another one here. Uh, we're going to talk about a oh, guy.
1: Uh, who- uh, just a minute. I really keep going. Sorry. I uh, remember uh, one day I, I uh, said to the to the boys, I "says You know what? Actually, we we're very close to selling out, but not sold out. So I'm going to bring a guy next time, and they're going to sell out." I says who? They figure a whole corner or something. I said, "Nope, myself. I'm going to make a comeback, right?" <laughs> so on the tapes here, I got Mighty Mo, <laughs> and I got my Italian shoes on and probably a suit on, weightlifting, teaching me, I'm working out now, right? And I did the, uh, the, uh, professor Stallone, uh, type of a deal where I run on top of a hill and climbing mountains, and, you know,
0: climbing mountains, as Don yeah, Callis, climb. the natural would say, he's lifting weights, he's climbing mountains, he's running, he's at <laughs> <in> training.
1: <laughs> yeah. And that's when Mighty Moore was helping me on the you know, on the on the video and all uh, weightlifting and so forth. And I mean I can't but you know what we did sell out. <laughs> hey, you know what I, that's what want uh,
0: that's what I wanted to kind of uh, parlay into, uh, Tony, because uh well, one of the guys has a question well, about one of the boys you featured prominently who was involved in the feud that brought Tony Candelo out of retirement. Uh, I want to talk about a guy who had such a presence, uh, just natural charisma, just seemed like he had a really good mind for the business even after he uh, left you and worked for Vince and a few other companies. I'm going to talk about a homegrown talent, Don Callis, who worked for us, The Natural. Now, what was that like, working for uh, work, having him come in first as a young, kind of wet-behind-the-ears wrestler to what he eventually developed both in-ring and behind the scenes. I mean, this angle with you coming back, I mean, you sold it out, but let's talk about Don Callis. I mean, this was a guy that really developed pretty quickly in your company.
1: know, I tell the truth, what happened with Don Callis, the same situation with Roddy Piper. Gave me 10 stinking dollars, never see another dime after that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Don, at uh, that time, before he went, to, before he went with Vince, he, he was seven years with me. And all of a sudden, I booked him with... Uh, uh, the French from Montreal Rick Martel uh, men event cage match whatever from that connection anyway he gets hired from Vince McMahon and uh, I remember that time when I seen this contract from Vince and he was shaking from day in the morning until a night and I was with him all day long so what the hell are you shaking about <laughs> remember one thing kid the only difference is this that those guys Ms. McMahon, or whatever you're going to deal with, they're not as friendly as I am. They're strictly goddamn business. Remember this. Buy little things. Do your thing. Mind your own bloody business. be on time. Right? And you know what? If those guys like you, they'll make a millionaire. If they don't like you, they'll blow you away. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he gets hired. And uh, I'm going to tell you exactly why he's not there any longer. Uh, Triple H... Goes to Vince and he says, uh, "Hey, that kid has got the same hair as I do, same hairdo, right? Mm-hmm. Cut it off with that troop that he had. Remember the troop?
0: Oh yeah, the uh, uh, yeah, exactly. The truth commission.
1: Yeah, Troop commission. He was the jackal. So they wanted to give him a, the jackal, so they wanted to give him a brush cut, right? You know. Oh wow, so sure. So Don, Don, Don can- doesn't want to get his hair. Uh
0: huh.
1: Doesn't want to get his hair cut, right? They went to. Uh, I went to the champion there uh uh the name of uh, brett hart hey Bret, listen this is a situation you can help me out so brett you know talk to vince about it. you know the way it is they eh? sure. do want to do what i tell you see you later right so they they not release but they paid it they paid him uh his full contract for the year and that was the end of that that's why he's not there any longer but a lot of talent he had a lot of talent you can cut promos like crazy Not a better wrestler at all, you know, a pretty good wrestler, but promos, yapping, like, (laughs) incredible.
0: Oh, and I can remember uh, you guys getting together, even when you guys were feuding, you two uh, got to sit down and did a commercial for an Italian restaurant. That one comes uh, back when I think about uh, the memories of the WFWA.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Italian restaurant. So the natural is there sitting on the table not getting any service, right? Mm -hmm. Bed service and bed spaghetti or whatever. Then I come in and... Saying, "Listen, uh, you want some good food? Blah blah blah," and I start plugging the restaurant. Yeah, that bloody stupid thing went over pretty big here in the city. <laughs> believe it or not.
0: Yeah, it, it, I, I watched it. I thought it was the greatest thing, uh, Tony. What What's going on? I mean, we got a few more uh, moments here uh, before we go our our separate way. We definitely scratched the surface on something we may have to revisit sometime down the line. But I just want to know what's going on with you. Are you still uh, staying active to some degree in the pro wrestling thing? Are you doing some promotion? What's going on with Tony these days? Are you enjoying the fruits of life?
1: Like I, you know, uh, I was going to call you Mick or something. But anyway... Years ago, I used to look at, I used to do 185, maybe 200 different events a year, right? Mm-hmm. Man alive, you know, I'm close to 74 years old. I cannot keep up the pace anymore. But I still can take some asses, you know what I'm saying? Oh, sure. <laughs> I, I'm 74. Today, I do maybe 15 to 20 matches a year. That's what I still do that, just to keep myself occupied, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. have no money you know what I mean huge money or whatever but just to keep myself occupied I still involved with wrestling
2: yeah and
0: we, we've got some of the guys uh who are uh, who have wrestled uh, down here in Minnesota who are from from up uh, up your your parts up in Manitoba there including uh a guy that's really been doing things uh, Danny Duggan yeah,
1: and Danny Duggan has come along you know and uh he's a good little worker didn't uh, you know, you give him that much and you know he brings he brings the odd name here and there in his promotion and I respect Donnie, He respects me, right? We never worked together, but I used him a couple times in my cars. He was a little bit younger, but he's doing very well. Really mm-hmm. Cock little guy, but he's doing really well.
0: <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, in the fan, you are you keeping up on social media? Are you are you doing the Facebook thing? Uh, you got anything with Twitter yet? Are you do you have a website? What, what what ways you can you can a fan if they were curious about Tony Candelo can check you out? Do you have a Facebook?
1: You know what? My kids, I used to have the flip phoning. Oh, okay. Telephone. Was I was so used to that the thing that I could punch jumble with my eyes closed. So my kids, my daughter says, Dad, you need a new phone. And they give me this Apple phone, right? Yeah. I'm still learning this stupid thing, right? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> but I'm getting it. Yeah, I got a Facebook, yeah. I'm on Facebook.
0: Yeah, and that's under Tony Candelo, too. Uh, you're under under your name. So if somebody was going to send along some regards yeah. to you, they can check you out that way
1: or you can email me. I'll probably you my email. No problem. Oh yeah, go. Send her. It's uh, the it small letters. Tony Condeville. Number one. You got to use the, the number one letter at uh, gmail.com. No problem.
0: Check it out. Send Tony an email if he's got you got a question or if you want to share some memories. Uh, Tony, our, our time uh, is coming towards an end. Uh, the timekeeper is looking. He's ready to ring the bell. We've went the whole Broadway. It was so much fun. We, Like I said, we scratched the surface. If we could play uh, a, a game one time uh, where I just named some Western Canadian wrestlers or some uh, wrestling legends and we could go from there. But boy, for for what time we did have the talk, we covered uh, a lot of ground here today.
1: Great. You know what? I'm glad you guys called me and to uh, be on your show. and. In all respect, it was just wrestling talk, okay? And then I didn't try to talk bad about anybody uh, personally, no offense, but it was just wrestling, okay? Just the business itself. Absolutely. The, the the fans got to understand that.
0: Absolutely. That's what the memories are for, and it's so nice that you were able to share. Tony, thank you so much. You have yourself a great day, my friend.
1: Thanks for having your show, and I hope to talk to you again.
0: Bye bye. For Wrestling Memories Online, I'm Glenn Broggett.